0: You know, if you've um, been to church, maybe you were at Sunday school when you were a kid or or maybe you've been brought up in church. And even if you haven't been brought up in church, you will know the classic story about giant killing. Because the classic story about giant killing is David and Goliath. And I've spoken on this story lots and lots of times. And I want to speak on it again today because I think there's a few twists in the tale which I want to share with you this morning. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the the text in a minute. But first, I want to credit where a lot of this material is coming from. A couple of months ago, I read a book uh, called Your Goliath Must Fall, which was written by Louis Giglio. Uh, Great name, Louis Giglio. Rock and roll, that is. And uh, he's a pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, head of the Passion Movement, which uh, uh, many of the songs that are sung here and other churches come out of that Kind of movement. He's an incredible communicator. And I read this book a couple of months ago and he brought out these twists in the tale. And I thought it was so good that I wanted to pass on some of that to you. So much of this material is his material which I'm passing on to you this morning. So let's go to my weatherman screen. And at 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to pick up the story. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, just over nine feet high. Big boy. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a, coat, a scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and he had a bronze javelin. He was into bronze, this guy was, and was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. That's poetic language just describing that this guy is big, he's ferocious, everything about him, his his, his armour, his weapons, everything is intimidating. And his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Such a great story, isn't it? It's like a Hollywood story. Have you ever seen Troy? Anyone seen that film, Troy? There's a bit in that where the Greeks and the Trojans and then um, Achilles um, and Hector are the two heroes, uh, Brad Pitt and Eric Banner, I think his name was, and they do this fight and, and it's exactly the scenario here. You've got two armies and there's, there's a standoff position, and every day the Philistines are shouting to the Israelites, and the Israelites are kind of uh, a little bit terrified, okay? And, they don't, and they're in this standoff, and then Goliath, this champion, comes out. And into this scene comes this young boy that we know called David. But before we look at David, a few words about giants, a few observations about giants. Now I'm not going to get into um, how could God allow someone to die and the, the, the violence and all that. It's an Old Testament story. There's a lot in understanding that. We're going to park that for one side. Giants in the Bible, okay, like Goliath, are symbolic Of giants that are in my life and your life. We all face giants all the time, whether you're a teenager this morning or whether you're right at the other end of the spectrum, whether you're just beginning in your life or whether you feel that you're in the end season, we all face giants. Let me say a few observations about them. Giants stand between us and God's great expectations for us, life in all of its fullness. Giants come from three main sources from self, from within ourselves, from situations externally. And some of them come even from Satan himself. Now, I don't want to talk much about that, but we do believe in a spiritual dimension, in a spiritual world, good and evil. But they come from self, within ourselves. They come from situations outside and they also come from Satan. Giants can run in your family. So, background to this. In Numbers chapter 13, years before, uh, the children of Israel are in the promised land and God says to them, drive out all the inhabitants in all of the cities. And they do that apart from three cities. And one of the cities is a city called Gath, which is where Goliath and his ancestors come from. So they had an opportunity to drive out Goliath ancestry before. And maybe King Saul on this day, maybe as he looks out over Goliath, maybe he says, my daddy fought your daddy. And my granddaddy fought your granddaddy. Because how many of you know, for some of us, giants run in the family, don't they? In our family construct, in our family script. Certain giants seem to appear from generation to generation. Other thing about giants, giants rarely start out over nine feet tall. Goliath didn't start out over nine feet tall, he grew. And I I guarantee that many of your giants and my giants don't start out that intimidating. They start small, but we allow them to grow. We allow them to grow and then they become intimidating in our lives. Giants also introduce us to what's going on on the inside of who we are as human beings. This last verse, verse 11 from the message. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines challenge, they were terrified and they lost all hope. When they saw the giant and they heard the giant enough, because it was over weeks, it was days and days of this taunting and ridicule and intimidation, eventually you saw what was on the inside of them. They were terrified and they lost all hope. giants introduce us to ourselves. Giants intimidate and contain us. You know, the the kind of constant um, kind of noise that comes out of giants. I heard this story years ago. I didn't say this at the first service, but I love this story. This little kid who's getting bullied at school. Bullying is a horrible thing, horrendous thing. And if you are getting bullied in any way, shape or form, please talk to somebody about it. And actually, this kid did. He talked to his dad and his dad, this was a long time ago. You wouldn't be allowed to do this now. He gave him a piece of chalk and he said, when you're in the playground and the bully, bully comes to you, draw a line on, on, the, on the ground and say, bully, if you step over that line, I'm going to whack you. And so he said, please, do not try this at home or in the playground. Okay, I'm not saying that. This is an old story. So he goes to school the next day. Bully comes towards him and starts pushing him about, gets the chalk out, draws a line on, on the ground and says, bully, if you step over the line, I'm going to whack you. Bully steps over the line. Kid gets a chalk out, draws another line. (laughs) And you see, that's what you and I do with our giants. We often back off and we back off and we back off and we let them intimidate us and contain us and we miss out on all the good things that God has for our lives. Here's the good news. It is not God's plan for you to live with anything standing in the middle of your life, demoralising you in that way. Now, your giant may not fall, But his his effect must. For some of you, you're going to leave this place this morning and the giant that's in your life will be there. My prayer is that his voice and his effect and his impact will be diminished just a little bit more. Giant killing is not about removing the giants necessarily, but it is about removing the effect that the giant has over our life. Giants come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Circumstances can be giants. Rejection is a massive giant. People are living their whole life trying to work out this giant of rejection. Anger can be a giant. Addiction can be a giant. But I want to suggest this morning, the biggest giant of all, and the one that all the other giants feed off, is the giant of fear. Fear. Fear is a self-correcting mechanism. It's about anticipating something that might happen to you. Apparently when we fear, our body reacts. Hormones, adrenaline, blood drain, heart pounds, sweat, our pupils alter. Research says some people have a predisposition towards fear and anxiety because they have a certain gene, SLC6A4. How many of you are worried now that you have that gene, <laughs> that very same one? But you know, there's a good side to fear. Yesterday, Alison and I were walking over Clint Hills, and at the top of Clint, we walked into a guy from the church with his two young lads. He's very nobly and graciously. You know, his wife was having some rest time or whatever she was doing, and the uh, two lads. And I noticed that the one young lad, very young, um, uh, there was about seven dogs around the cafe area in Clent. He had no fear. It reminded me of our youngest son, Simeon, when he was young, no fear. Walked up, put his face right in the face of bulldogs and I'm like, whoa. But you see, as you get older, you get a little bit of fear, don't you? And actually, that's not all bad because fear is a self-correcting mechanism. It can help preserve us and can help us stay safe, which is good. But the downside to this is that what fear does is fear plays on the worst case scenario our mind can imagine. So we're in situations and the giant is talking and speaking and what we do is we play out how bad can this actually get. And here's what Louis Giglio says in his book, which I think is genius. Fear grips us whenever we believe that apart from or in spite of our best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen and we can't stop it. Look at that. Fear grips us whenever we believe that apart from or in spite of our best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen and we can't stop it. It's a giant, isn't it? The giant of fear works off the back of other giants, intimidating us, getting us to play out worst case scenarios. And no matter what we do or don't do, we cannot stop it. Fear can come. Fear sometimes is irrational, but sometimes it's rational. The effect is the same. Fear can come from our conditioning, how our environment, our background. But fear can also come from our concealing. When we leave things concealed in our life, fear can also come from our controlling or our need to be in control of every situation. The opposite of fear is not boldness or courage. The opposite of fear is faith. And I love what Giglio says again in the book. The antidote to fear is faith and the soundtrack is worship. I love that. The antidote to fear is faith and the soundtrack is worship. Which is why at this church we love to sing and we love to worship. Because you know when life is tough and when the giant is screaming and when our mind is kind of going off to worst case scenarios, the soundtrack of worship helps us to focus on the one who doesn't change. On the one who's in control even when we're not. On the one who's got it all covered even when we haven't. On the one who knows the end from the beginning even when we don't. That's amazing. So, how do we face our fears? How do we defeat our giants? Let's go back to the story for a moment. And I'm going to read a big chunk of this. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. See, see it's like you come against me with what you've got, your weapons. The weapons of our giants are words. We'll come on to that in a minute. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Such a great story. Here's the twist. You are, not, you are expecting me now to go into a whole big thing about how you and I can be like David. How even though we're weak and even though we're small and even though our giants are big, we can run towards our giant and we can take whatever we have, which is a stone or whatever it is, and we can sling it at the giant and we can knock the giant down. Then we can go and we can cut off the head of our giant and we can be the hero. Because in the next chapter, the Bible says that when David went back into Jerusalem, all the women were shouting how great David is and all the men in the room are saying, that's exactly what I want to hear this morning. And I'm not going to say that. Because you say. You see, here's twist number one. David doesn't represent you. David represents Jesus. Now, we can learn a lot from David, and we do. But actually, David in the Bible is a type or a representation of Jesus, not of you or me. And this is a twist. You see, I am not the giant killer. Jesus is. I'm not the one heading into the Valley of Elah, even though I am. Jesus is the one who said it into the valley. Jesus is the one who brings down the giant in my life and your life. Our giants fall because of the work of Jesus. We are called to participate. We are called to learn from David and we are called to, to get some courage and to face our fears. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the giant killing business is not ours, it's his. Isn't that liberating? Isn't that liberating? We can and we should take courage from David, but our focus should not be on us or our giants, but on our God. Because I don't know about you, but I need someone bigger than my giant to fix my gaze on, don't you? I need someone bigger than my giant to fix my gaze on. This is not about us trying harder or running faster or, or, or throwing a sling harder. This is about focusing on Jesus. He is the giant killer. But here's twist number two. Your giant is already dead but still deadly. Your giant is already dead, but still deadly. In a couple of weeks, we're going to launch some of our overseas trips for next year. And one of them is to 10,000 homes again in South Africa, where we went a couple of years ago. And when we went on that last trip, and I don't want to put any of you off who want to go, um, we had a snake issue. And uh, there was uh, snakes uh, uh, there, not loads, but, but fairly some and uh, we had a snake on the campsite and some of you were, were there and part of that and um, the girls were all staying in this little kind of hut and the snake was at loose around about their hut and so it was quite interesting the whole dynamics and, and we were looking for snakes at not, not me like I was hiding in the hut as well to be fair but, but other people that were far more bold and courageous were looking for snakes and when they finally got the snake they killed the snake and they cut off its head. Here's the thing about snakes, they're dead but they're still deadly. The head of a snake, certain kinds of snakes, still contain poison that can kill you, even after the head is cut off the snake. And here's something that we've got to embrace. When Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, all of the giants in our life, he killed. They are dead, but they're still deadly. They are dead, but they're still deadly. And this is two truths that don't seem to connect, but we need to pull them together. It's a little bit like in the Second World War. When the Second World War was finally over, we called that day VE Day. But when the war was over, we called it D-Day. On D-Day, when that happened, the war was over. But there was a whole period of time where there was fighting to be done. And so the war was dead, but it was still deadly. It's exactly what we're... We live in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus defeated Satan, he defeated ultimately death. So ultimately, all of our fears all lead to that point And if death is defeated, our giant is dead, but he is still deadly. So how do we defeat our giants now that we've heard these two twists in the tale? Firstly, we have to speak truth to ourselves. You see, the giant only uses words. Guys, you guys know this. That the giant, when you're young, when you're at school and all that kind of stuff that you're facing there, okay, at school and college and uni and, and all of that kind of peer pressure. And that doesn't stop when you leave that because we get that older in life as well. But we know that the giant always uses words. And it's the words that we allow into our heads that will determine our experience. The voice you listen to will determine the future you experience. And and I love this quote which I've read here before, Seth Godin, is a business guy, not a Christian as far as I know, but this is so profound. People don't believe what you tell them, they rarely believe what you show them, they often believe what their friends tell them, they always believe what they tell themselves. That is such a profound quote. People don't believe what you tell them, they rarely believe what you show them, they often believe what their friends tell them, they will always believe what they tell themselves. So if we're going to defeat the giants, or we're going to see the giants defeated, we have to speak truth to ourselves. When the giant is screaming at us and telling us we're this, and telling us this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and that could happen, we have to say truth to ourselves. We have to remind ourselves who God is, who we are, what his promises are, because those things don't shift. Secondly, we do name and we do address the giant. We do focus on that for a moment, but then we don't focus on the giant. We address the giant, we name the giant, but we focus on Jesus. And I love Psalm 16, verse 8, one of David's psalms. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So I'm going to look at the giant. I'm going to name him, but I'm going to focus my gaze on Jesus. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And then we lean into the all-sufficiency of the one who is the giant killer, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I wonder how many of us, and if you claim to be a Christian this morning, how many of us have cashed the check? By that I mean we've been we've been given so much in God that have we cashed the check? Do we realise what he's put Into our life. Several years ago, uh, I heard a story um, and and I checked it out, and it is true uh, in a newspaper article. And um, it's a story in France about a farm, and on the farm was a barn. And in the barn, uh, the owners of the farm knew that there were some old uh, cars and some old uh, machinery, but they just never bothered about it at all. And then they came to sell the farm and so somebody else took the farm on. When they opened the doors of the old barn, there was £12 million pounds worth of classic cars in the barn. One of the Ferraris was driven by Jane Fonda, the famous actress. Another of the classic cars was driven by a prince, or an Egyptian prince. And these people had all that wealth in their barn, but they never cashed the cheque. And I wonder how many of us as Christians ever cashed the cheque. The Bible says, "Read Ephesians." You know that, that God, who is rich in mercy, you know, gave Himself for us in, the, in Jesus, and now we have all of this spiritual inheritance in Him. But we've got to cash the check. We've got to lean into the all sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So there's one more twist, and I love this one, and I need to hear this a lot. David's motivation—this is where we are, folks—on David for a moment was not primarily his own freedom, but was the fame of God. David's motivation in the giant killing was not so that he could go free, but so that God would be glorified. You know, David could have walked away that day. David pitched up with sandwiches. He was the delivery boy. It wasn't his fight. It wasn't his battle. And yet this is what happens. This is amazing. Look at this. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And then these next four words changed his life, the life of Israel, your life and my life and the history of the world. And David heard it. And David heard it. What do you hear when the giant roars? You see, what he heard was he didn't just hear a big guy shouting his gob off. What he heard was he heard somebody defying the name of God. He heard somebody attacking the name of God. And David thought, I'm only here with sandwiches and it's not my fight. But now, boy, you've made it my fight because you are attacking the name of God. And I'm going to take you on because nothing will come to, to attack the name of God that I won't get involved in. It's one of the reasons why I get so passionate about things like church unity. And I speak into it with such emotion and passion. Because when I sense that we're we're in danger of being disunified or speaking bad of each other, that isn't about, oh, I wish they'd make my life easier. That attacks the name of God. This is the bride of Christ. This is the people that Jesus died for. And Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So when we take chunks out of each other, it matters that we fight for that. Because it's about the glory of God, isn't it? And when you and I have giants in our life, maybe you have a giant of addiction right now. Maybe some of you. Some of you watching, some of you listening, some of you uh, uh, here in the room, maybe you have a giant of addiction. It matters that you take that on. It matters that you lean into Jesus, that you let him bring that down. Because if you don't, it reflects on the glory of God, not just your own freedom. And David had this incredible motivation. God does not exist for us, guys. We exist for him. Our motivation must become the realisation that every giant that defeats us deflates our ability to make the name of Jesus famous. You know, when a marriage comes through tough times, it makes the name of Jesus famous. When you get over that addiction or that issue or that challenge, it makes the name of Jesus famous. It proves that there's a God. That's why it's so important that we don't let our giants bring us down, but we lean on Jesus, who is the giant killer. I want to draw in, come into land now. Billy Graham tells this great story. Billy Graham is a famous evangelist. Is towards the end years of his life. Tells this great story about this inn in um, the highlands of Scotland and, and, and there's lots of people there eating and, and a waiter's bringing some tea across the, across the, 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 uh, the restaurant. And someone it was a fisherman, he's telling the story. You know the story of the one that got away and he's showing how big the fish was. And as he went like that with his arms, he knocked the tea out of the guy's hands and the tea just went all over the wall and was a massive stain. And everyone went, oh, you know, big stain of tea on the wall. And one of the guests jumped up and said, don't worry, never mind. And he took a marker pen out of his pocket and he started to sketch around the tea stain. What they didn't realise this was a guy called Sir Edwin Lancia, one of the most famous artists in the UK. And his speciality was portraits of animals. This is what he painted. This is what he drew on that tea stain, this kind of thing. Which is amazing. He got his paints out and did this all around the stain. It's such a great story. Because God is the God who takes all the stains in our life. And all of the mess ups and the mistakes. And when we lean on him. And when when we let him defeat those giants. What he does is he takes all that stuff from our life. And he makes it into something beautiful. Doesn't he? For his glory. That's why I love so much stories. Like next week we're going to hear some baptism stories. Because no matter what has gone on in our life, when we lean on God, when we live for Him, when we allow His life to fill our life, He makes something beautiful out of our brokenness. So as you stand in the Valley of Elah today, I am not saying to you, try harder. I am not saying with a giant speaking over your life, you know, that you just got to run harder and you just got to throw harder. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this. Go into the Valley of Elah, but know as you go in to face your giants, you're not going in alone. Jesus the giant killer is there. So don't give up, look up. Don't lie down, lean in to who He is. And what He does then is that He takes the brokenness of your life, the shame of your life and all of that stuff that's happened in the past and He turns it into something amazing and beautiful. Isn't that amazing? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to ask you to pray with me just for a moment. Is that okay? Just let's bow our heads for a moment. And I know, and I know because I'm one of them, that there are people in this room and you're facing giants right now. And the giant is screaming his head off. And the fear mechanism in your brain is going into overdrive. And you're playing out all the worst case scenarios. But I want you to know that Jesus... The lover of your soul and the giant killer is in your valley with you. And he wants to bring this sucker down. But what we have to do is we have to name it. We have to articulate it. We have to say, here's the giant. Here's the impact. The giant may not go, but the impact will. And we need to lean into the all-sufficiency of the name of Jesus. So in a moment, I want to ask you to respond. And I want to pray for you. And then the band are going to sing over you this morning some incredible truth. But before they do that, if there's anyone here or maybe watching or listening and you know that there are giants in your life and you have had enough, maybe you've done like the kid did with with a chalk line, you know, kept moving the line, moving the line. Maybe you said, no, enough is enough. I am not letting the giant have his way in my life anymore. And it's time now to stand up. Then I want you to do that this morning. So if you know that's you, I want you to stand because when you stand, something is happening in the spiritual and something is happening in you. So that's you this morning. I want you to stand and we're going to pray for you. Bless you guys. You know there's a giant there. You know that they're roaring their head off. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to just pray for all these amazing people standing now. And Lord, I know for some of them, maybe it was a quick thing. Maybe, I think for many, it was difficult just to stand and to acknowledge that there's giants in our life. God, thank you for their courage to do that. And now Jesus, the giant killer, would you go into action? Would you, as they lean into you, would you silence that voice of Goliath in their minds, I pray. God, as they focus on you, as they lean on your awesome, as they cash the check that you've already given them, God, may they know the freedom of living life with You in their valley, with You in that situation. And Lord, may they then see You take that pen out of Your pocket and make something stunning out of their life and out of the failures and the shame and the weakness and the sin. Something stunning that stands not only for, for their kind of you know, good, but for the glory of God. So God, would You do that, I pray. Would you speak life now over these lives, that pray. In Jesus' name, you are the giant killer and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Take your seats for a moment. I'm going to ask the band to sing over you now this morning. And this song is, um, as I get older, I'm getting more and more country. I'm really sorry about that, okay. But this is a country gospel song that I heard a few months ago. And I just think, the wo- let's listen to the words. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice, tell the same old lies. If you're trying to fill the same old holes, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, He's a pain taker. If you feel lost, He's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, He's a prison shaking saviour. If you've got chains, He's a chain breaker. Do so you listen to the song, Receive? the truth of these words in Jesus' name.